Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. Each one should should test their, their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. For each one should carry their own load. Nevertheless, the one who receives instruction in the word should share all good things with their instructor. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh from the, from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the spirit from the spirit um, from the spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially those who belong to the family of believers. See what large letters I use as I write to you with my own hand. Those who want to impress people by means of the flesh are trying to compel you to be circumcised. The only reason they do this is to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. Not even those who are circumcised keep the law, yet they want you to be circumcised, that they may boast about your circumcision in the flesh. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is the new creation. Peace and mercy to all who follow this rule, to the Israel of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Abby. Uh, let's, let's pray as we get into God's word together. Father God, we are grateful that you were pleased to speak to us through your word. We are grateful that you have shown us yourself that you have shown us your glorious gospel by which we can call on you as Father, by which we can live as your adopted children. Lord, I pray that you would grow us and teach us through your word now. Open our eyes so that we might see what you would have us see. But by your spirit, work within us, transform us, change us, grow us, into the likeness of our Saviour Jesus. And we pray it in his name. Amen. Excuse me. If you've ever um, lived with someone, if you're married or maybe you've had housemates or maybe you've gone travelling and stayed with someone, you'll know that living with someone, inviting someone into your life, changes you. That's actually one of the big challenges facing uh, people when they get married. Two people living together, actually, they, they change each other, they impact each other. And some of those ways are really subtle. I remember uh, when I first, well not first, I moved out of home uh, with a guy, living with a guy in Townsville, and he was really into CrossFit and exercise, and all of a sudden I became really into CrossFit and exercise. He, he changed me, he sort of rubbed off on me. It happened again when I got married. 
Before Janice and I were married, I used to fold my underwear. I, I would, you would take it off the line and I would fold it and put it away in the cupboard. And I started, I was doing that when we were married and Janice looked at me and was like, what are you doing? What, why would you waste so much time? Just throw it in there. And now I do. It's been liberating. Janice has changed me. But that's kind of superficial. But she's actually changed me in far deeper ways as well, far more significant ways. Sometimes these, these things are subtle, but when you invite someone into your life, they change you. Well, the final chapters of Paul's letter to the Galatians are devoted to teaching us what happens in our lives when God moves in. And Paul's big point is that when God's Holy Spirit enters into the life of a Christian, they change. They, they have to change. They must change. Now, so far in this letter, Paul's been ramming home the message that a Christian is someone who is justified, who is declared right with God through faith in Jesus. It's not because of anything that they've done, not because they've kept God's laws, not because they're good, but through trusting Jesus to forgive them for the fact that they're not good and for the fact that they'll never keep God's laws. But then the question that rises from that is, what happens next? A Christian is saved by trusting Jesus, and so now they need to obey God's laws in order to stay saved, in order to prove that they're truly saved, right? Paul says, no way. The Galatians were living, they were starting to believe that they needed to keep God's laws in order to maintain their justification, in order, in order to stay in. It was like Jesus got them in, but they had to work to stay in. And Paul says, no. Obeying God's laws won't make you more acceptable to God. The law won't grow you. The law won't help you overcome sin. But the hope of the gospel is that God gives us something better. Because when you turn to Jesus, not only does God forgive you for everything wrong that you've ever done, he also gives us his spirit. He moves in, he enters our lives, he unpacks his bags and says, right, it's time to make some changes around here. When God moves in, you change and what does that change look like? Well, Paul sums it up in just one word, love. The Holy Spirit helps us to love. In chapter 5, he said, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Later on, he says, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh, rather... Serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbour as yourself. So it's a little surprise that when we get to the fruit of the Spirit, which we looked at last week, the first flavour we hear about is love. When the Holy Spirit moves in, the way that he grows you, the thing that he enables you to do in a way that you could never do before, is love. Love God, 
and love your neighbour. And so in chapter 6, Paul wants to show us what it looks like to love. The whole chapter is an encouragement to love. But, but the really helpful thing that Paul does here is that he shows us something in our lives that kills love. I've been watching the World Cup lately and what you, what you hear about is teams studying their opponents before a game to know where they're dangerous. That the goalkeepers are studying the penalty-taking techniques of the, their opponents so they might know which way they're likely to kick. Paul, Paul helps us here by seeing the danger of our opponent. But the, the opponent in this situation is our flesh. He helps us see the thing that is in our life that, that kills love, that stops us from loving. It's, it's like the worm that eats the fruit of the Spirit. This thing that is the opposite of love, the antithesis of love, a thing that will make it impossible for us to genuinely love God or others. And do we see what it is? Paul shows us at the very end of chapter 5, one of the biggest obstacles to you loving others is having too great a love for yourself. Now, that's not the words Paul uses. He uses the word conceit. Verse 25 of chapter 5, Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited provoking and envying each other. Keeping in step with the Spirit means not becoming conceited. Now, now conceit is having excessive pride, to have an overinflated sense of your own importance. But the Greek word that's being translated here is a word that sort of literally means empty of glory. The problem with the conceited person is that they are they are empty of glory. They are seeking glory. And they're seeking that glory from people. Think about it, the conceited person, the proud person, that they think about themselves. It, it is self-love that causes them to crave the praise of people. And Paul wants us to see that conceited self-love kills love. Now, in verse 26, he shows us this playing out in, in two different ways. First, there's the, the way of superiority. Because often the pride that we feel causes us to provoke other people. He says, let us not become conceited, provoking one another. See, our, our pride causes us to attack other people, to make ourselves feel better, to make ourselves appear better. Now, you see this with, with political opponents, political candidates, right? Comes up to the election, and how, how does a political candidate boost their own approval ratings? Well, they slander the other guy. They make the other person look bad so that they look better. We see it in the game of politics, but do you see it in your own heart too? Have you found yourself making those disparaging comments about someone behind their back to make yourself look better or to make yourself feel superior? That's the path of superiority. Our, our pride makes us, 
makes us want to be superior. But the conceited person may also follow the path of inferiority, where they, where they envy people who have what they want. The superior person says, I'm better than you. The, the inferior person says, I wish I could be like you. But both of them are conceited. But both of them are in search of glory. Both of them are living for the praise of people. And you can call it conceit or pride, vainglory. It is ultimately self-love and it kills the love that the Spirit grows in us. And so Paul warns the Galatians here, don't become conceited. Don't act superior and provoke others. Don't act inferior and envy others. Instead, be humble and love others. And so as you move into chapter 6, Paul spends some time unpacking what that looks like. He gives us some examples. And he begins with the example of the Christian brother or sister who has fallen into sin. Now you can imagine how destructive pride would be in that situation, can't you? What does the proud person do when they see a brother or sister caught in sin? Maybe they, they scoff. Maybe they gossip. They think to themselves, I would never do that. What's wrong with them? But do you see what Paul teaches us to do? Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. Serving one another humbly in love mean, means restoring the sinner gently, but also watching out for yourself, making sure that you don't fall into the same temptation that they have. Now, I saw a beautiful example of this in a, in a church that I was a part of previously. Uh, it, it was discovered that one of the Bible study leaders in the church was addicted to pornography and had been seeing prostitutes. Now, that was, a, that was a shock to the leaders of the church, and it was a shock to people that knew this guy. But what was incredible about this situation is that that guy stuck around in church. I, I can imagine that in most situations, someone discovered, someone who's been exposed like that, would, they would run. They would leave. He was humiliated. He was ashamed but he kept coming to church. And the reason that he kept coming to church is because the leaders of that church served him humbly in love. They didn't scoff at him. They didn't gossip about him. They didn't write him off. They didn't act self-righteous. But nor did they say it was okay. Oh, don't worry about it. No, no, no. They worked with him to restore him gently. And they used it as an opportunity to warn others in the church about the danger of unchecked sexual desires. It, it was a beautiful example. I mean, it was horrific. It was disgusting. And yet, there was real love for sinners. Friends, that's what love looks like here in church. Now, too often in the church, we, we see self-righteousness, don't we? We see the Pharisee who looks at the tax collector and says, thank you, God, that I am not like other men. Too often we see pride 
and it kills love. Love causes us to restore those caught in sin. In verse 2, Paul says love causes us to carry each other's burdens. We actually share the weight of each other's burdens. But in verse 4, he explains that while we should carry each other's burdens, we shouldn't use other people's burdens as a way of measuring our own growth. He says that don't compare yourself to others. You worry about your load, which is the responsibility that you have before God. You see, pride causes us to seek the praise of people, but spirit-filled love means we're playing to an audience of one. It is God's approval that we seek. Pride kills love for our neighbours, but in verse 7 to 10, Paul moves on to show us how proud self-love also kills Christian growth. Have a look at verse 7. He says, Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Now, I'm going to be honest, I'm a city boy. I'm no farmer. But even I, even I know that if you want to harvest wheat, you need to plant wheat. And if you want to harvest avocados, you need to plant, wait for it, avocados. There's something more, and I'd never really thought about this, but it makes complete sense, which is that if you want to reap a good crop, well, you need to plant good quality seed. Makes sense, right? Well, here, Paul is employing this image of sowing and reaping to warn us against the foolishness of spending our lives sowing the seeds of conceit and then being surprised that nothing good comes from it. Do you ever find yourself looking at other Christians and thinking, I, w- I wish I was like them. I wish my faith was like theirs. I wish I had their joy. I wish I could be content like they are, which is ironic to say it like that. But have you done that? I'm, I'm guilty of this. I, I look at other Christians and I think, why isn't God growing me like them? And here, Paul's gentle rebuke to us is, well, what are you sowing? (laughs) Don't be foolish. Don't play God as a fool. If you're wondering why you're not seeing a good harvest, maybe it's time you take a look at what seed you're planting. Are you regular at church? No. Are you reading your Bible? No. Are you spending time with other Christians? No. Do you read Christian books? No. Well, what do you expect is going to happen? You show me a Christian whose faith is strong, who's joyful in the Lord, whose relationships are healthy, and I'll show you a Christian who is sowing good seed, who's reading their Bible, who's praying, who's spending time in fellowship with other Christians. And likewise, you show me a Christian who's drowning in sin, who's riddled with doubts, who shows no sign of the fruit of the Spirit, and I'll show you a Christian who is sowing to please their flesh and is reaping destruction. You reap what you sow, so sow good deeds, says Paul. 
He says, let us not become weary in doing good. Now, he, he's telling us it will be tiresome. It's not going to be easy, but don't become weary of doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially those who belong to the family of believers. Friend, what are you sowing in your Christian life? What are you expecting to get out of it? A man reaps what he sows. Now, Paul wants us to see the conceit, the pride, the self-love that threatens to derail the work of the Spirit in our lives. If we live our lives by playing for the praise of people, if the things that we do and say are motivated by what other people think of us, we'll never do anything good, will we? Now, you might do something that appears good. You might do something that looks generous so that other people might notice that how generous you are and they might praise you for it. You might serve at church here as a way of boosting your own ego. I've known people that have gone into ministry being more motivated by the praise of people than the praise of God. And it's a disaster. It kills love. It stunts growth. It stops us from bearing the fruit that the Spirit is growing in our lives. But the question is, what do we do about it? How do we put to death conceit and self-love in our lives. Well, here at the end of chapter 6, Paul shows us exactly how we overcome the destructive pride in our lives. And it's a surprising answer that he gives us, because he says the way to kill pride is to boast. In verse 11, Paul takes the pen from the scribe and he starts writing big letters because he wants to make sure the Galatians don't miss this. Because all the turmoil they've been going through, it ultimately boils down to this. The people who are teaching the Galatians to put their trust in themselves and in the fact that they are circumcised, those people are living for the praise of men. They're trying to please people. They want the Galatians to follow their teaching so that they can boast about how influential they are. They're exactly what Paul has just been speaking against. They're conceited, they're proud. They have no love. They're boasting in the flesh and it's ugly. But if you want to avoid this, if you want to avoid conceited pride, if you want to kill the self-love that we can see in the lives of these false teachers in Galatia and that we see in our own lives too, Paul says, don't boast in yourself, boast in the cross. Verse 14, he says, may I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. You see, boasting is the, the language of war, isn't it? Boasting is, is saying where my confidence is to win the battle. 
The Argentinians are going to boast in that they have Messi on their side. We boast in where we see our strength. And so Paul says, if you want to kill pride, boast in the cross. The cross is your strength. The cross is the way that you're going to win the battle. And it's because the cross, the cross is the ultimate pride killer. The cross destroys self-righteousness. It destroys our arrogance. Why? Because the cross of Christ teaches us that we are so sinful, so flawed, so completely incapable of doing good that we needed Jesus to die for us. As friends, the first step in you receiving the gospel was to say, I need help. That's a humiliating step in the eyes of our world. It's saying, I'm hopeless. I need someone to do this for me. It's standing up in front of everyone and saying, I was wrong. The cross kills our self-righteousness. It kills our pride. And it does that because it reveals just how flawed and broken and sinful we really are. But it works on another level too. Because our pride stems from our search for glory. We are people who are proud because we we want people to praise us. We want the love and acceptance of people. And friends, the cross shows us that we are so deeply loved. We are more loved than we could ever hope to be. We are so loved that God sent his only son to die in our place so that we might be forgiven and receive eternal life. Friends, if you want to kill pride, if you want to overcome that desperate search for glory, that compulsive need to be praised by people, if you want to walk by the Spirit and let Him grow love in your life, boast in the cross. Boast in it in your own hearts. Boast in it out loud. Boast in the fact that you are God's child because of the cross. Boast in the fact that you are so sinful and yet so loved. Boast in the fact that through the cross your sin is dealt with. Boast in the fact that through the cross your future is secure. Boast in the fact that through the cross you are free. Boast in the cross... Boast in the fact that through the cross, you no longer need the glory that this world has to offer. Friend, boast in the cross and love. We're about to boast in the cross together as we share in the Lord's table. But before we do that, have it, I pray. Father God, we are grateful for the cross. We are grateful that you were pleased to send your son into this world to die in our place. It's a humiliating message, a message that reminds us that there is nothing in us that makes us deserving of your love, that there is nothing that we could do to be called your sons and daughters. Lord, we thank you that Jesus was willing to do what we could never do. 
Lord, may we boast in the cross so that we might kill pride and self-love in our lives. Keep us from ever looking down on others, but may we serve one another humbly in love as you have served us humbly in love. Lord, grow love in our lives. Grow us in the ability to love you and grow in us the ability to love each other so that through us, the name of Jesus may be glorified. And we ask this in his name. Amen.